So good to see all of your faces. <clears throat> From so many different uh, places. Let's enjoy uh, initial sitting to, to settle and bring ourselves uh, to the present as much as we're able and to each other as, as fully as possible. It may seem odd in a conventional sense that we would come together in this contemporary world of commodities and getting something. And that the offering would be essentially nothing of silence and stillness and simplicity. And yet the space that's made and that rather rare thing in such a world opens possibilities and gifts that are are really beyond measure. bring our voices together to reflect and to ceremonially in some ways honor this no thing that is our sitting when we say vast 
is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction, wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction, wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction, wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. sit in this formless field of benefaction, this field of infinite and inconceivable goodness that takes so many forms, many of which don't look so good, all the difficulties that surround us. And yet we come to know it and relate to it through practice in a new way. <clears throat> Excuse me. And this is where we find ourselves now. Last week I spoke about um, the sort of odd idea of getting back to normal, going back to normal. And while some conventional ways of moving and being together in the world are being restored, thank goodness, we don't back up, but take what we've learned and move forward if we can. <clears throat> but there is a return, there is a going back uh, that I do want to speak about today. And that's a returning, it's more than this, but I'll call it returning to the Zendo. Um, we certainly don't want to squander what we've might have learned or any transformation that might have occurred during this crisis, the lockdown, the ways of things being uh, held back is a kind of a simplicity and kind of a stillness and silence that we've marinated in for quite a long time. And then not returning to normal, what's most conventional, I spoke about as choosing the samsara, we know over the nirvana we don't trust. But this kind of return that I want to speak about today is um, the return to our practice and our vow and the way we find our way back home always, which is through the forms. And that's why I call it a return to the zindo. And this is one of the most unique and most frequently misunderstood aspects of Zen practice and one that's not popular to talk about in a way. Um, this slow and steady transformation of our hearts and minds, of our relationships and even our communities. 
simply by the way we use our bodies and engage in the training uh, of a bodhisattva. And this is, in a way, always going forward. Each time we step into the Zendo, into the Buddha Hall, into retreat, into the Dokusan room, the practice discussion room, we're moving forward into something fresh. If it's something old and familiar, there's a way in which it's become a little deadened. This is the infinite circle of the way that we step into. But it's risky to make this choice, to walk back in, and that's what I want to speak about. Is for most people, Zen isn't what you think it is. It's not a teachable uh, subject, like so many things are. It's not a better spiritual way that you can learn to solve your problems. When Buddhism reached uh, China centuries and centuries ago, it met Taoism, uh, which was already well developed in China. In the teachings of Lao Tzu, listen to his words for a moment. He says, Take the time to listen to what is said without words to obey the law too subtle to be written, to worship the unnameable and embrace the unformed. This is that invitation to the deepening through what appears in our conventional way of living in the world as nothing. To listen to what's said without words, to follow directions that can't be written down, to offer ourselves to what you can't even name and embrace what's not formed. It's completely in the opposite direction of how we ordinarily operate. And when the legendary figure of Bodhidharma supposedly brought those teachings from India into, into China and was asked, what, what is this, this thing that seemed unusual? He said, it's a special transmission outside the scriptures, not depending on words and letters, directly pointing to the mind, the heart-mind, seeing into one's true nature and attaining Buddhahood or freedom. It's about something that moves between us, outside of what can be taught. It does not depend on words and letters. It directly points to something essential, one's true nature so that it can flourish. Lao Tzu made his comments in the 6th century. Bodhidharma supposedly made his trek into China in the 5th and 6th centuries. Some seven centuries later, uh, Dogen Zenji, who the founder of the school, uh, out of which much of our teachings emerge, said, you should therefore cease from practice based on intellectual understanding, pursuing words and following after speech and learn the backward step that turns your light inwardly 
to illuminate yourself. And then he made that enigmatic kind of statement to most of us. He said, body and mind of themselves will drop away and your original face will be manifest. If you want to attain suchness, you should practice suchness without delay. That last line is, is interesting. He knows that people want to attain things. If you want to attain suchness, how could that be something that's attainable? You should practice suchness without delay. And here's our, here's our way of going forward. This is the stepping back into the Zendo. Because in our, in our lineage, we do teach things. I, I'm teaching things. We, we teach things all the time. And we bring forward content that points toward and invites us to continually turn toward the great mystery, the great matter. We teach Buddhism, the history of Zen. We even teach and point to contemporary psychology, aspects of theology or philosophy, certainly the arts and creativity and the body and its incredible capacities and its profound vulnerabilities and limitations. We use all of this content. We teach it because true practice is liberating and transformative, but it's not any one of these things and is not contained in any of these subjects, no matter how scholarly or wise they are. But practice contains all of them. Once when Suzuki Roshi was asked, well, what is Zen? In that moment, in that time, he replied, Zen is when any religion goes beyond itself, including Zen. What is this going beyond? And at another time, he was asked a similar question, he, and he said, you know, when you are you, Zen is Zen. So what is this stepping beyond religiosity and becoming truly ourselves? You know, these days with the mindfulness movement, people uh, often think of Buddhist practice and even Zen as a form of um, kind of mindful self-help or psychotherapy. And, and those things can occur during practice, but this path does not explicitly work with the content of conditioning directly. Instead, it, it, it offers us a way to, to loosen our identification with and see beyond the entrancing narratives of our lives, our, our habits, our reactivity. And practice offers us forms we can offer ourselves to so we can relax the constrictions and barriers to the free flow of our life energy that are bound up in our identifications, our addictions, our habits, and the contents of our consciousness. It's this space, this formless field of benefaction rather than the contents that move within it. And even inquiry, which we do here, is important and powerful and limited in what it can offer. You know, through experience, you probably wouldn't come back if you didn't feel that it would shake up your 
you know, well-practiced ways of ordinary thinking and reacting. And it can touch your heart, it certainly touches mine, in ways that frees up the barriers to love that we sometimes hold. And it can do this for a moment. But it's only through sustained practice and offering ourselves to training the forms that we're actually refreshed and sort of made new in a certain way. And this is what I'm calling Zendo practice and retreat practice. Suzuki Roshi also said once, doing one thing completely is enlightenment. Doing only one, that one thing, without anything extra, each small thing, each simple thing. So, as I said, I, I don't think of Zen necessarily as a teachable subject, but what we do offer is training. And we have various containers and vehicles that we use to sort of help reveal the mystery. And we develop then relationships within which we can discover who we are. And we have activities we invite us all into so we can engage wholeheartedly and it allows us to become intimate with each other and with the mystery through the simplest things. And as we return to the Zendo and we engage our forms, when we step in, we drop the conventional ways of inhabiting our body and mind, the things that happen automatically and habitually. And our reactivity as we do it, by offering ourselves unreservedly to something other than our personal preferences and our self-directed goals. This is the stepping beyond. This is Zen going beyond itself, going beyond ourselves. Offering ourselves to something that helps us step beyond our personal preferences and just our personal goals, even the spiritual ones. Suzuki Roshi said, even Zen. And there are three main ways we do that. And these, this is just sort of reminders. Through ceremony, ritual, and our forms. We just um, engaged in the completion of uh, head students, both in, in Austin and in England recently, um, and, and in Madison just over the last few weeks, and the entry of new head students. These were ceremonies that were public, which a lot of you uh, may have uh, participated in or witnessed. Ceremonies are a communal form of celebrating and affirming the way our true nature moves in times of transition. And it knits a community together to come together in ceremonies, like the entering and exiting, but also uh, the offering of precepts, uh, ordinations, um, weddings, memorial services. These are ceremonies that mark transitions and there are ways we come together because we, we need this, really. And in doing so, we engage sometimes in, in our tradition, fairly elaborate ceremonies, um, which invite us to take this risk, which I mentioned earlier, to risk stepping beyond ourselves, to risk being exposed, to risk being vulnerable, and to offer ourselves to something beautiful. 
and something shared. And in doing so, the second ritual, we engage in rituals. Rituals are shared ways uh, to meet the moment through devotion rather than personal preference. We sit in zazen, we use certain forms. Uh, daily service, uh, caring for the altar, there are certain rituals we engage in to set the stage, to make the space, to enter the formless field of benefaction, to take on this uh, robe of liberation through ritual. And of course, they're all sustained through forms, the third thing, ceremonies, ritual, forms. And forms are really just invitations to embody mindful activity, to enact and support what freedom might look like and feel like even when you don't feel very awake. Does it matter what foot you use to step into the zendo on an everyday level? Of course it doesn't. But it does matter if you take it seriously because it wakes you up. How am I taking this one step? How do I bow? How do I take care with my posture and zazen, my mudra? How do I chant with my ears, not just my voice, listening to others? When we eat, work, play, clean the house, take care of kids, anything, what are the forms that help us? And none of this is pious or precious. That's, that's not the point. In fact, I think that our forms and rituals and ceremonies are quite the opposite because they're grounded in ordinary activities made sacred by the attention and care we bring to them. I've told the story many times that Todd Bankler told me once about returning to his work in a fast-moving high-tech environment from after being um, in a retreat and taking care of the altar and er making sure everything was taken care of the whole week on the altar. And then he came to work that next day and and pulled his laptop out of his briefcase and put it in the dock on his desk and realized he was handling it in the same way he was the incensor or the Buddha statue and realizing, oh, this is the point. Not about it being precious or special. How do we treat the world and each other? And none of this is about perfectionism. It's its antidote. I learned more about perfectionism my own, and undoing it by engaging in forms that look pretty darn perfectionistic in some ways. How I had to ask myself, how could I learn to be wholehearted and do things fully and with immense care without being attached to how I looked or what others were going to think of me or whether I accomplished it perfectly, just wholeheartedly. And it's certainly not about competing or being pleasing. These, the, our forms give us the ground of intimacy, of relatedness, of reciprocity and forgiveness. When we, for example, if I'm an attendant to a teacher and I'm holding their incense and walking with them and turning toward them and bowing, there's this profound intimacy and relatedness. There's a reciprocity as I follow the forms and there's a forgiveness. 
about how when it we bump into each other, when it doesn't go well, when something is dropped or missed, we continue to forgive over and over and over and come back to intimacy and come back to our relatedness and to this dance. And everything in the Zendo is, is a dance. And in both of these approaches, if you want to make it a little dualistic for a moment, learning about Zen and practicing Zen have their function, but they're easily confused. And so many people will prefer and stick with just the first approach, you know, teaching, learning, reading, books, understanding, and never risk the second, the embodied immersion. And something that's inconceivable, but doable. And so as we return to the Zendo, we're going to be reminded of how easily we slip into seeking consolation in the face of our suffering. As if we practice to say, I want to feel better about myself and about my life. And avoiding the risk of the loving and fierce embrace, the gentle and persistent confrontation of Zendo practice which is more like, am I willing to meet and feel everything within me and within my life? Not just feel better about my life. And this is the gift of the return to the Zendo. What's the, what's the risk of learning to bow, something that seems foreign? Why is it so hard? What are you risking? What do you have to give up? This isn't about trying to become uh, Japanese or something like that. It's can we risk the relinquishment and the return that a bow offers us? What's the risk of sitting upright and walking steadily and silently with other people for a few days or a week in retreat? What's the risk of attending to someone, a teacher, a friend, a stranger, and serve them without, with, with, with great energy but without self-consciousness. A kind of a, without a self-conscious submission, certainly, and without a self-deprecating surrender, but to fully engage each moment, each person, each task, and in doing so, soften into a new kind of strength. Because if you can do this in the Zendo, or with a friend as you serve them in a meal, or as you work together to clean, then you'll be able to sit with a parent or a spouse as they die or take care of a child in the relentless days and weeks and years that it takes to raise someone. We're taking these risks so that we don't just have some new and improved version of samsara, some now a new spiritualized life a well-functioning manager-based spirituality, like everything's good, a better self-centered dream. Instead, we don't want to be just a, like a, a good Zen student or practitioner. Will you take the risk of re-entering the Zendo through the forms and rituals and ceremonies and engage in the training, not just the learning, engage in the training of your whole body and heart and mind, which is the foundation of every one of our inspiring ancestors and teachers that we hope to emulate, that we are inspired by. So this is the this is the challenge. 
to think about the ways in which the forums have encouraged, challenged, or inspired you, and, and what it means to really train yourself, the risk that it, it that, that comes forward to really train yourself differently rather than just learn about something. And I wondered if, um, I saw Francesca a while ago, I wonder if she would come forward, she would raise her hand. Yeah, there she is with me. I've, I've known you so long and we've dealt in these matters for so long. I, I really wanted to ask you what moves in you as you hear me speak about these things. Because I know it's an edge. It, it, it is definitely, definitely an edge for me, but not in, in the sense that I that I want to push the forums away, mm -hmm. but in the sense that I really um, uh, I I treasure them. Mm -hmm. And I'm 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 really bad at following them but that's, that's where the forgiveness uh, comes in yeah that that just comes with the territory um yeah i i i, I treasure them and i and on on occasion which we've talked about i i i get really upset when when people don't respect them well i think that it's important that you use the word treasure that you treasure them because when we engage them fully we become a treasure to each other. And I think that's what breaks your heart if you see them. I, I remember um, um, a photograph I took of you and you know what photograph I'm speaking about, which was just the middle part of you and you're holding the clappers because you're about to lead us. And so it's not very personal. You don't see your face, but you see yourself holding the clappers ready to invite people. And it's, it, it was a quintessential moment in which you offer yourself fully to that. And you've been such a steady and maturing and, uh, and inspiring friend for so long. I just wanted to, to invite your comments. Anything Thank else? You. Anything else on your heart right now? No, just, I'm just very happy to be here. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, and uh, Lynn, um, Moore, who was just involved in our one of our ceremonies recently. Um, would you raise your hand just for a moment? And I see Becky, I know, is there. We're, we're, we're going to come to you in just one second. Just because you've just immersed yourself in much of this, and I, I was curious about your reflections on this return, and you were able to be with people again. You stepped into the room with them. How is it in your body now? Mm. <laughs> Incredibly full. Um, to be in the same room with, uh, with Josh and Trudy and Sue and to, to feel 
their embodied presence as well as my own. Um, well, <laughs> the emotion is really, is really strong, um, but there's something about in order to fully feel my own embodiedness, I need another person to be there. Something about, I can practice these things and do things on my own, but the difference is unspeakable, really. It's beyond, beyond words. And when you have things um, in a way that isn't just a casual or based on our preference, we're asked to stand in a certain way, move in a certain way, bow at a certain time. Once again, it's not about perfectionism. It, we, our preferences fall away and, and some new kind of intimacy is possible. Mm -hmm. yeah. Something beautiful that you create and you are in together. Yes, like Jessica was talking about. When um, the, some of you heard me say, Suzuki Roshi once said early on in training the hippies and people in San Francisco at the time that met him in the, the late 60s, he said, you Americans especially like to do your own thing. And so I can't tell you apart. When I ask you all to do one thing the same way, then I can see you. Because when things become more simple, then we, we see each other, we start to shine through and appreciate each other in this beautiful way. And you begin to see, I, I kind of notice that um, Noticing other people's bowing, there is something of uh, <laughs> it's like oh you're there. <laughs> I can I can see that you're there in in that rather than it being a I don't know what the right there's there's the difference between when it's just a mm -hmm. yeah. I do uh, this. The difference though. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you, Lynn. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Becky? Hello. Hello. I think it's wonderful that this is your topic today because this past weekend especially just brought forth a complete blooming of some of my understanding and connection to that which has been as many people in the Sangha know because we've needed to talk about it a lot. It has been my, my strong wariness of and holding at distance the things which are ceremonial ritual form. Um, some of those in terms of form have been me working it through in terms of the basic things like sitting uh, because my body won't really let me sit upright or stand upright and so on. And everybody would assure me, no, it doesn't matter. But I know actually from my own experience with Qigong that it does also matter. It's not gonna keep you from it, but the richness of what you get is that. And so I've rebuilt 
I've rebuilt a place to sit so that my spine is supported upright and my neck's in a place that's right and so on. But I still, each, each thing I would run into, I'm like, um, or, you know, and, and I thought about, you know, in my own life, I thought about what kinds of things I have that are equivalent to that. And they've always been what I call ephemeral rituals. Like they're exactly right for right then. And if they last a while, that's wonderful. But if, if they aren't right for the next part, then they're gone, no matter, you know. And, and so when I arrived, it was like, I wanted to understand and hear from people. What does this mean to you? What's this supposed to mean? What's this, you know, like, all of that, because so many of the teachings that we use in our chants and readings and so on, state things in way absolute ways and often include language that is in the English language and in our culture um, quite charged in its connotation, if not its definition. And, and so, um, you know, it, it took me a while and I wasn't sure, is this someplace I really want to stick around with or do I want to just gather what I can a little bit and head on on my way? Mm-hmm. And this weekend, the combination of the intensive and the, and, and, that, and, and the whole experience, especially of this past practice season um, and, and the people that I've journeyed closely with through it, um, has has opened up a real understanding of the way in which these forms support what we do individually, but, and then each of these things, it's like that, that it does weave community. Uh-huh. It's it like I made it okay with myself for quite a while, just okay, not necessarily I'm ready to be right in with it, but I'm okay with this because this is my family, this is my sangha, this is important to them, right? But I still couldn't chant, a, I, I still can't, I, I, I mean, I won't, I won't chant something that I don't know how to believe yet. It's and interesting so I, because that would be a wonderful practice edge for you because it's not about belief. That's why I was really taken early on when we would still chant some of the chants in Japanese, not because it was Japanese, because you couldn't understand it. It was simply about offering yourself to the shared communal activity. And, and that I can do, that I can do. And, right. and, and, um, and the richness of what the chants have meant to me as they, as they come fully into me, yeah. Right. Is a, amazing, of course, you know, and it keep, mm-hmm. keeps happening. But but that but that it's it it's 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 really pretty amazing altogether. Well, uh, and I just I hear, thank you all. And I hear the way it's you've made there's some sort of turn for you, which is the transformational quality that over time, if you stick with it, because the rituals, the forms, the ceremonies help us meet our edge and we'll meet everything that doesn't feel very good. Everything that, uh, 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 that's not a problem. That's practice. That shows us where we cling. 
And if we have enough people around us, loving us and holding us and supporting us, we can find out how, how to keep that going. So that's wonderful. Thank you for, for speaking that voice. Well, and thank you for being here. Yes, thank you. <clears throat> there was another person I'd, I wanted to call on because I was, I was curious. Uh, is Mary Beth still with us? Mary Beth Lay? Okay, hi. Hi there. I wanted to see what was alive in you right now with all of this. Well, it's so interesting because uh, it's similar to Becky, right? Um, the turn of the forms um, happened for me when I was in pre present in the Zendo, right? Going through the forms and, and I feel like I've gotten away from them. Um, so when you were talking about it, I was like, oh, well, this is like when I practice the soccer skill, right? So it's like, I, I, you know, I practice dribbling over and over and over again, right? But I'm trying to get somewhere when I'm doing that, right? I'm trying to get better at a particular skill. So that's where my mind has been when you're talking about it. It's like, I know I'm not supposed to do it to get better, but I think I need the experience of getting back into the Zendo physically to be able to really feel it again. Yeah. Because that's where I am. I'm at now. It's like, oh yeah, I need to start doing it again to get better. It's a, it's a nice entry point, actually. <laughs> you know, seriously, I think we all attempt to um, practice ringing the bell so it sounds, so that we have a nice bow, so that we, of course we do that. And we take that to its limit. And there's a point at which it's infinite. You realize, oh, it, there's no end to this. And then you just start offering yourself to it fully. And you would, you would learn dribbling for the sake of dribbling, not because it make you a better soccer player, because it's a beautiful activity on its own. Because so much of life is just what's required next. Just what's required now. And there are beautiful ceremonies we can make for ourselves. Like Becky was saying, there are things that, oh, this is beautiful now. Maybe it's not, but that's all, that's wonderful and nourishing, but it's personal preference. And our, our deeper ceremonies take us beyond our personal preference into that. That's why I call it a risk. This is a risk that we're taking to step beyond really who we're clinging to be, including always having a goal. What happens when you're quilting? <laughs> well, I, you know, that that's a, I, I, am, I do have a goal, but not really. I mean, it because the goal, it, it's just to be meditative and be present with something and using my hands. It's, um, it's, uh, it's the activity itself is the fullness of the activity. Yeah. That's what it's like when you're sewing one of these, same thing. So you do understand that. Yeah. Yeah. No, but I appreciate the topic because, you know, I, it's, I do appreciate the forms and I understand the forms and I do have some hesitation about stepping up to be somebody who helps lead the group with the forms. And it's right. another so, step of training, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you. So uh, I'll continue practicing and 
Well, you just did it. I called on you and you stepped forward. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. And we'll make some space for others who might want to come, come forward. I can say um, in the, this space that because I spent the last 40 years both training and practicing as a psychotherapist and doing so much teaching um, and, and seeing really remarkable changes that people make and finding the beauty in that work, I've appreciated it so, so deeply. And there's a way that there's a gift that emerges from simply, very, very simply just sitting together and practicing together in a very ordinary rhythm of life, like in a retreat, just simply going to the next thing, sitting, walking, preparing a meal, cleaning up, that transforms uh, and opens a life in ways that are hard to explain, that are beyond working hard to get better or fix something. It's really quite remarkable. So I recommend it. But it's a little heartbreaking sometimes when it seems like, oh, what I'm offering you is so plain and doing almost nothing. And to find it as that which is uh, actually the most deeply transforming. Judy? You're here. Oh, am I unmuted? You are. <laughs> Thank you for that talk tonight. It was just perfect for me to help understand what I experienced on Thursday at the um, Catherine's completion ceremony where I was the Benji. Um, if I'm completely honest, when we were doing the rehearsals, I just felt ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And I was really worried that I was going to get the giggles on the night. <laughs> and then um, actually doing it was completely different. And we both felt so wholehearted. And part way through, I started to, it felt like a real release, actually. I started to become really very tearful and quite moved. Catherine said to me at the end, I thought you were crying at one point. <laughs> I said, I was, I was. It really, um, it, and, but it really surprised me. And you said something, I think, near the end about it being, um, doing those forms being an opportunity for um, something to move through you that wouldn't move through you otherwise or something. So I, I was sort of, exactly it. That, yeah. yeah, so that sort of gave me a little taste. But then when you spoke tonight, I got it more because it was just there was something almost magical about you know the difference between the rehearsal and because I again you know some of that ancient ceremonial stuff I've sure. sort of found difficult but it was it was really uh incredibly moving and and a really special experience even though I was sort of half dreading it <laughs> well and I could see it in your body that's why I made the comment I did I was actually the difference between our rehearsal and what I saw in the ceremony with you and Catherine Boat was, was actually shocking to me. <laughs> I became fearful. It was so beautiful. The way that you 
really task, give yourself the task of remembering the forms and, and offering them fully. Because when you do, even if it's cumbersome and you feel it's ridiculous, something moves anyway, no matter what you right, feel. Right, yeah. Yeah. And that's <laughs> yeah. the point. That's the point that's yeah. hard to teach and for, to get people to uh -huh. see. Is that if uh -huh. you do this, even if you think it's ridiculous, it will work anyway. <laughs> it will transform you anyway. And it's so beautiful. And that's what, about it. Yeah, well, you know, the intimacy thing was really, yeah, a big part of it. But I was just thinking as you were saying that, it's it, a lot of it is about trusting you because you know, if you weren't encouraging me to do it, I'd be like, I'm not doing that. So there's yeah. a real sense of just trust, mm -hmm. you know, and it, and, you know, it um, had its own, well, it worked, you know, I got it. <laughs> That's the wholesome aspect of surrender that I mentioned earlier. Uh -huh. It doesn't have to do with, um, you know, submission or any kind of negative thing. It's the releasing to and the holding that can then come that fierce and warm and caring embrace that's only available if we're willing to take that risk but that's why i keep using the word risk because it feels you're yeah. in it it's a risk oh god yeah yeah it really did feel that way but um i'm really grateful that you um invited and encouraged me to it was get so, involved yeah so beautiful well we'll continue on eh yeah let's thank you Thank you very much, Judy. And I see uh, who's next was Sandra? Or? Yes, Sandra's next. Hola. Hola, hi, King. Flynn, yes, I'm changing your name. So I thank you so much for that reminder that really made me cry when I was listening what you were saying because what touched me the most was um, the intimacy, mm -hmm. intimacy of that and the forgiveness. Yeah. It's like, and it's not only the forms on the sender, it's this, like you say, in the sender of everyday life. Yeah. And, and I think because in the sender you can do it and I know, but here, like to, that's the hard part to practice in everyday life. Mm -hmm. Like it's okay if I make a mistake. So that, that forgiveness and the intimacy really touched me very deeply. And what you're saying is, is really important. It's not, and I know you're not saying, it's not as if you say, it's okay to make a mistake so I don't have to pay attention. No, you give yourself wholeheartedly to doing it fully in the proper way, knowing you'll make a mistake. Yes. It's the middle way. It's not, I don't care, or perfectionism. It's... That, that middle place. Yes, the middle place. That is very tricky to it be is. that. It's like no conditions in there. I think you've heard me tell this story, but it was so, one of the most moving things. When I was in Japan in the practice period with um, Blanche and Mel and Witsu, we made some pilgrimages to um, some major temples, including uh, Eheji, Dogen's temple. And when the, there were about 17 of us, I think they're uh, Americans who were there. And when we arrived at Eheji, we were greeted and then we were taken, uh, we went to the Zendo to sit and we were all in robes in the formal way, but we're Americans who we weren't the Japanese. And we were sitting on the platform, the tan facing the wall in the Zendo. 
And after a while, as we sat, uh, we could hear the door open. And of course, you don't move, you don't look, you're just sitting. And I could see in the periphery someone walking to the end of the, the line and standing there. And it was uh, one of the old uh, teachers who had known Suzuki Roshi and who was head of international practice at now as an older person. So I, 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 I could hear in his voice who it was. And he said in English, when Suzuki Roshi left Japan in the late 50s and came to the United States and began to do, he said, I could not understand what he was doing. From our tradition here in Japan, this it, it didn't make any sense to me. He said, today, I see what he was doing. And then he walked out. Well, you're talking about the middle way, and I just remember watching people in the Sangha and the things that they did, and what came to me was, I could never do that, and so I'll just sit quietly and life will just go on and I'll be part of it. And then it sounds like every Sangha has at least one Catherine Coleman. And when Catherine Coleman looks at you and goes, <laughs> you pay attention. And then she said, now, um, we'd really like you to take part. And I mean, I wanted to run and just leave. But why, why would you follow that when Catherine does that? What is it about her? Because it isn't just some sort of commanding thing. Because she's oh, no. No. no, it's very gentle. But what is she's it? She's not that, going that, like this. She's just right. going. <laughs> what, make, what makes it undeniable? Well, I absolutely adore her. <laughs> It's, and it's her, I trust, it's, it's a deep trust that I have. Of her practice. Yes. Because you uh, see just, that, there's no defense against it. No, there wasn't. There wasn't any, any defense. And so, you know, I started ringing the bell and doing different things. And, and uh, um, I'm not sure I ever would have come forward on my own. Mm -hmm. But... You kept saying, and they, everyone here too says, just be wholehearted. That's all you need to be. Just be wholehearted. And of course, I'd read about being wholehearted. I thought, oh yeah, sure, sure. But it's one thing to read about it and another thing to come to a point where you honestly believe it. And that's my whole talk. It's yeah. not a teachable subject, but engage the training 
<laughs> and the gifts will come, but you don't get the yeah. gift of just studying it. No, no, you don't. Like Judy said, once she was, we were studying how to do it. It's ah, but once she offered herself to it, something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's the offering, and and just you know, the forgiveness comes because if you're wholehearted, then you know can deny that as you say that's right and even that deep inside of me can't deny that and can't say well didn't you fool them you did a good job but you know inside <laughs> i mean and over time we're going to have to wrap up now but over time that request yeah. becomes what suzuki roshi called the inmost request at first it's from the outside but then it becomes your own request and that becomes your vow and that's yeah. where it leads yeah it's it's uh, amazing thank you it is thank you sue i'll tell one last story before we do our chant um <clears throat> the the first time i went to san francisco zen center as a student i was quite unfamiliar with things, but I was trying to do my best, of course. And I went down to the Zendo uh, after I'd arrived and sorted my things out. No one was there because it was a, in the middle of the afternoon, nothing was happening. So I sat in this room that has such history. Uh, it's, it can seat 60 people, it's quite big. And once again, uh, I heard a noise uh, and someone had come into the room. Um, and once again, I'm facing the wall, so I didn't look around. And it's a giant room where each person could give each other quite a bit of space. But the person who entered the room came and bowed next to me and took the seat next to me, right, right next to me. And we sat for a, a while and then it was time. We bowed together, we turned, we did the form, we walked out, we never spoke. But then I saw who it was. It was Ishio Fujita, who's a well-known and very advanced Zen teacher. Uh, and what his teaching was that day was, no matter how much space there is, we sit together. We offer our body to the person next to us and we meet their body. We don't like, oh, let's give them their space. No, we sit with them and encourage them. And in that shared form, it was another very dear, dear kind of moment. It's always together. And the forms allow us to step beyond, step further than being a caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream, each moment, life as it is, the only teacher being just this moment, compassion's way, caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way. Caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way.
you very much for your wholehearted practice today and for your uh, support, Maria. Thank you so much, Flint. Thank you. APAMADA's programs and facilities are supported through your generosity. Your support really does make a huge difference. There is a link for contributions on the website at apamada.org forward slash contribute. This link will give you an opportunity to offer Diana to teachers such as Flint and Peg, as well as other teachers, and an opportunity um, to contribute towards other events such as classes and practice discussions, for example. So thank you. Thank you all very much. And we now move on to the next part of our evening where we continue to meet and share on the virtual porch. So please um, do stay if you, if you wish to. And, uh, and if you want to take a couple of minutes break, please do. And we look forward to seeing some of you. Thank you so much. <laughs>